Hey there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 44 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us um, Pastor Ricky Chalette from Living Hope Ministries. We have a fun... I think a very insightful, um, powerful conversation about relational health and um, specifically focusing on areas of sexual health and our relationship health um, around our our sexual life and uh, just a valuable time with him. Appreciated him coming on the podcast and uh, learned a lot from him is, uh, yeah, he shares his wisdom and insight of many years in ministry and his, his goal of helping people be health healthy, whole, and um, resilient. And so just appreciate Pastor Ricky being with us today. Do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for um, our sessions with Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Pastor Dick Foth and discuss our um, questions that listeners sent in and just enjoy Dick um, being on the podcast with us. And it's a phenomenal time. I put my email in the in the podcast show notes and you can look there and just send your questions to to me. And we curate those, put those together, and then we, we get those t- get those to Dick. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland, caring for each person, connecting each story, and celebrating each miracle. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend who's the director of Living Hope Ministries, Ricky Chalette. I think uh, I hope I said it correct. You got Ricky, it right. You got it Ricky, right. so excited to have you with the podcast with us with the podcast today. Would you go ahead and just take a few minutes to share about yourself and maybe um, a few minutes to share about Living Hope Ministries? Okay, Aaron, thanks so much for having me and appreciate you inviting me to do this with you today. Um, I have been in ministry for about uh, 40 years now and um, been serving in the local church all those years, been 26 years at the at First Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, which is where I'm on the pastoral staff. But in addition to that, for the last 15 years, has have been the executive director for Living Hope Ministries. And Living Hope Ministries is a ministry uh, established about 32 years ago uh, for the express, express purpose of helping individuals who are seeking to deal with sexual and relational brokenness in their life. Hmm. And so our, our mission statement is really simple. It's to proclaim God's truth as we journey with those seeking sexual and relational wholeness through a more intimate relationship with Jesus. Hmm. So our whole thrust of what we do here at the ministry help people be more deeply connected to Christ. And we believe that in doing that, people find wholeness and freedom and truth in ways that are very liberating. Uh, for them. And the reason I started this or got involved in this ministry, I didn't start the ministry, but I got involved with the ministry is that I really originally came here at First Baptist as the minister of single adults and outreach. Hmm. And one of the things after being here about two or three years, uh, I felt the Lord saying to me in a devotional time, what are you doing with individuals who are struggling with same gender attractions? Hmm. And we're in the midst of the Metroplex. Arlington is located right between Dallas and Fort Worth. So there are literally millions of people that are, that are you know, uh, right here next to us. And, and I thought, Lord, you know, I don't want to deal with this issue because this is not a popular issue. I mean, this was, <laughs> you know, this was 26 years ago and uh, 25 years ago. And so I said, 
you know, this is not something I really want to do. And it just kept coming up and kept coming up in my prayer time and in my, in my devotional time. And part of the other reason that I didn't want to deal with it, uh, honestly, was because it was also an issue that I dealt with myself. Hmm. And uh, all of the pastors I've served have known about it. I was very upfront about it. And um, mine came about, I think, mostly because um, I was sexually molested from the time I was a little boy. And uh, by a step grandfather who was very dear and very close to me, was very wonderful to me in one aspect of my life, but then was also abusive to me in another. And um, and so it was something that I had wrestled with and struggled with. And when I came to the Lord at 18, after almost committing suicide, because I didn't want to be gay, but I felt like I was. Hmm. And and that narrative is a narrative you rarely hear anyone talk about. Uh, it's always assumed that everyone who tries to kill themselves wants to do that simply because they can't be gay. Well, mine was the exact opposite. I, mm. I could have been gay. I, I didn't have a Christian family. Uh, we had individuals in our family that were gay that were very successful and very loved and very funny and, uh, you know, just delight to be around. And um, I could have certainly embraced that. But there was something in me that just that wasn't right. And I didn't really feel like that's what I should do with my life. And so I tried with a little bit of religion that I had growing up with some Catholic background to pray that God would take the, the homosexual feelings away. And that didn't work. And hmm. so when it didn't work, I decided, well, maybe I'll just disappear. Maybe I'll hmm. just go away. Hmm. And so having never done any kind of drugs or alcohol or anything bad, really, I was a straight A student all through school, student council president, gave the commencement address at the graduation, all that sort of thing. Uh, from the outside, everything looked great. Yeah. But um, but internally, I was really, really having a tough time to the point that I decided, OK, well, I'm just going to go take a whole bunch of pills and um, empty my mom's medicine cabinet and go to sleep and never wake up. And so I hmm. did that one morning. Later that evening, she discovered what had happened, and obviously I didn't die. Uh, but no one ever talked to me about what had happened or why it happened. And mm -hmm. so um, about six or eight weeks later, I was depressed again, this time even more depressed because I felt like I was a failure at killing myself. Mm -hmm. And so I went and got uh, a pistol from my dad's gun cabinet and decided I would just shoot myself. So I went to my room with the pistol and... Um, put the gun in my mouth, was about to pull the trigger. And I had remembered in that moment that I'd been to church a few times with a friend of mine in my AP class, who was a pianist who wanted me to sing at his recital. And so I said, yes. And he said, as a good evangelical would, well, you can, we can practice, but you have to come to church first, you know, and we'll practice afterwards. And so I did that. And when I did that, the pastor was talking about Jesus and about the gospel and about how this savior came to set us free and, and redeem us and free us from bondage. And I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like I had friends who were preacher's kids. They were terrible, uh, you know, and I was better behaved than they were. And I knew some missionaries and they were having problems. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get into heaven. Like I'm better than you people, you know? Yeah. But I, I really thought that Christians were pretty weak minded. But in that moment of desperation, I honestly recognized that my friend's family was a whole lot different than my family and that the way they lived and the way they responded was very different than mine. And so out of desperation, I just took the gun out of my mouth and I said out loud into the darkness of my room, uh, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're true, but if you are, you need to come and meet me or I'm going to pull this trigger and paint that wall red. And sure enough, in that moment, the Lord showed up in a big way to me and I felt his presence and knew that he was there. And, and I felt like he gave me two things, one, that he would never leave me or forsake me. And two, 
that I would, that he would be a father to the fatherless. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that was scripture at the time, but, but nonetheless, that was the promises that I got. And I've been standing on those promises ever since. And God began a miraculous transformation in my life. Now I say that, and I, I don't mean to say if, if folks hear this, that that meant that no longer did I ever struggle again with the temptation toward homosexuality. Uh, the reality was I had more than a, you know, 15 or 20 years of, you know, engagement with men as, as an intimate way of connecting. And so I still can have in moments, those temptations and feelings, but now I know where they come from, why they're there, what's going on and, and can deal with them much like any person would deal with any besetting sin that we have, that we allow Christ's spirit to give us the power to overcome those things. Amen. That's a, a miraculous uh, testimony of God's grace. And um, yeah. thank you for your transparency and your willingness to share um, with us. I, I really believe that helps us. The podcast is always, you know, our focus has always been transparent conversations. And I really believe as we share our stories, we really resonate with people when they're, when they share their stories. And so Ricky, I appreciate you sharing um, your, story, your story with us today. One of the questions that I had, had sent to you was, um, uh, as I looked over the website and um, one of one of the people I have the opportunity to serve, Alicia Lund, she's the one that said, you need to reach out to, to Ricky. And um, as far as a, uh, uh, a podcast interview, but anyway, one of the things she said was um, that you, you share that's very clear. Scripture is very clear for about God's design for sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and in today's world, um, at least in the United States, that seems to be coming under attack. Um, and so how, why do you think it's coming under attack? And what are some of the reasons culture is beginning to try to see um, God's design for sexuality differently? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, and I think first I would say, you know, I don't think God um, nor Christ has changed. Hmm. Uh, I think God says to us that, you know, Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever in Hebrews. And so I really feel that, you know, the word of God is authoritative in our lives and it is the the metric by which we must measure our devotion. And it is the instruction book upon which how we, you know, how we live and how we interact with others. And so when I, when I look at that, um, I see a very clear creation story in Genesis one, two, and three of, of God creating a human and then taking that human and separating him into male and female, uh, which also seemed to Um, agree with everything else that God had created in this binary male-female reality for the purpose of reproduction and uh, and partnership. And so we see that happening very clearly in Scripture. And and even if we were to take the six or seven, depending on how you look at it, prohibitive passages that are in both the New Testament, even grant that we've missed the mark on all of those, and I don't think we have, but if we did, uh, there still is an incredibly strong uh, meta narrative in scripture that talks about a male and a female as a picture of Christ in the church and God in us. And so to me, the familial relational reality that God establishes in Genesis two and three, uh, one, two and three is, is a, is a picture of his image in the world. And so we are image bearers of God. And to me, we need both the masculine and the feminine to fully understand the breadth and the scope and the majesty of God's reality uh, within humanity. I think it's part of the reason he split it up into male and female, plus the Holy Spirit, which binds us together. And, and we become a triune reality, in a sense, living out our lives within the world. 
Now, why do I think we're in a mess that we're in right now? I think there's a whole lot of things. I think that there's a lack of scriptural education that that's happened. Um, you know, we, we haven't really spent a lot of time saying, Hey, this is what the Bible says and why it's authoritative. So I think that's part of it. I think the power of story has really captured people today. Uh, Mm -hmm. and we see lots of folks telling stories that are contrary to scripture, but compelling stories nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And, and we as humans seem to be rather suckers for a great story, you know? And, uh, so I think that's compelling. I think, you know, the, eyes of social media and what that has created, again, an opportunity to tell a story, tell a very curated story uh, in a particular kind of way uh, that, that communicates a particular kind of point. I think that we've had a, a, a real super strong emphasis, especially within the last generation or two, on uh, personal pleasure and self-satisfaction is highest good, the greatest hmm. goal. Hmm. And as a result of that, a lot of sexual reality has to do with, well, what is going to give me the most pleasure? What is going to give me the greatest satisfaction? And if we're using sex, as most people do at some point in their lives, as a medication for the cessation of pain in our life, then we see how easily it would be to then grab any kind of sexual expression in order to you know, satiate that, that difficulty. Yeah. Wow. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, I think too, that, that we're in a time when, um, parents, and again, this is not to blame parents, but just in the reality of God setting up parents as the guardians of children, uh, we also see parenting in many ways, less and less time with children and relegating more of that responsibility to caregiver school entities and, and other people that uh, really should be doing what mom and dad are doing. And so I think you have kids that are oftentimes kind of disconnected uh, to their parentals and, and don't feel the intimacy and connection that maybe they should be feeling. Uh, and then, of course, I think you've got a cultural narrative that's really pushing an agenda uh, that wants to normalize things, which, you know, God forbids. And, and that's not anything new. Uh, I tell folks all the time, I, I don't feel like I'm fighting the LGBT community, what I do believe I'm fighting uh, is spiritual darkness and, and the, the desire of spiritual darkness to overcome the light. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of my rationale for where I think we are. Oh, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. You, you said um, and shared about sexuality and sometimes people will um, struggle with sexuality and, and challenges. What are some of the common fears of individuals? As you shared your personal testimony, you you shared that, you know, this was not something that you desired to be, that you felt like you could have been because you were in a family where I don't want to put words in your mouth, but somewhat normal because you had family members that were, they were successful. Um, But what are some of the other maybe fears and challenges that you've seen um, as people struggle with their sexuality and walk, walk that road? And I, and I especially see this within the life of Christian individuals, which are typically the ones that we're dealing with. You know, folks who come to us and seek us for help usually have some faith background of some kind. And so one of the things they talk about a lot is just their fear of being rejected by their family, by their friends, and in some cases by the culture that they're involved in, you know, the community that they're in. And so there's often that fear that, oh, my goodness, if I go and tell someone this, they'll reject me, you know. And so obviously nobody likes, you know, rejection. Uh, And so they avoid that confession. I also think, too, though, that there is a real fear that their feelings will never change. I mean, it's probably one of the most predominant things that I hear all the time is, well, I want this to just go away. 
I have these feelings to not be there. I don't want to have to deal with these feelings. And oftentimes we'll have people that that seek our help that come in saying right off the bat, okay, I'm here because I want these feelings to go away. And I'm pretty quick to tell them, I can't give you that promise. Uh, you know, this is a very life dominating, besetting kind of sin that usually is rooted in some early childhood things that ways of thinking and experiences that happened very, very early in our life at the very formative stages of our life. And if that is true, then that is going to be all the more difficult to just eliminate. Furthermore, when you just look at any Christian, I don't know of any Christian who has lost all ability to be tempted. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even Jesus dealt with that, you know? So I'm like, if you're asking me to eliminate temptation from your life, I'm afraid I don't have enough power nor knowledge of scripture to be able to make that a reality for you. You're yeah. probably going to struggle the rest of your life. But just because we struggle, which all of us do, doesn't mean that we have to succumb to the struggles that we have. Yeah, you know, it's good. And I think some of them, too, are worried that God's not going to love them, you hmm. know, because of their struggle. Wow. And I think that, you know, if you say it out loud, then suddenly it becomes a reality for you. And so many of the people I talk to, when they share with me about what's going on in their life, I am the very person they've ever admitted it to. Wow. And so just that confession in and of itself is frightening that if I, if I speak this into reality, God going to even love me anymore. And I'm like, wow. of course he does because he already loved you yeah. and he loves you right as you are. And he's already proven that by sending Jesus. So, wow. you know, none of that is going to change. None of that is going to change. Ricky, um, we, the listeners of this podcast are not going to have the experience and the wisdom that you have, but you've shared as somebody comes and shares with you maybe for the first time. So I'm thinking of a teammate that's on some country around the world and some, a teammate comes and shares with them maybe for the first time they've ever shared it with anybody. Are there a few things that you would say, Hey, these are, these are maybe some, some po positive ways to walk with that person when they hear this and they come, because I, I would imagine it takes great courage um, to be able to come and share that with someone, but maybe the person they're sharing with is doesn't feel prepared or had not really thought this through. And they may, what is there, does that make sense? This some guiding, sure, sure. guiding principles that would help us. Yeah. I, I, I think the most important thing I would say to folks, and I, I, I tell this to, to parents a lot when they're dealing with their kids is, you know, number one, don't be shocked because we're all capable of things that are unspeakable, you know? So, so try not to be just, you know, kind of befuzzled by the fact that someone is telling you this. Uh, not everyone who struggles with this, you would know struggles with this. You know, sometimes you do, but in many cases you don't. And so don't be shocked, don't be alarmed. Uh, thank them for the fact that they have shared with you something that's incredibly deep and incredibly personal and probably something that they have been holding as a secret for decades, you know? And so it's really important that you respond to them uh, with appreciation, with love. Uh, and that would be the other thing I would say is to, to make sure you let them know that, you know, what they're sharing with you doesn't change your opinion of who they are and, and your relationship with them. I mean, the same person they were before they made this confession. Uh, if anything, now you know them more intimately, more deeply, and um, maybe some of the things in their life that you may have scratched your head about suddenly make a little sense because you realize why they avoided this or didn't do that or said this or whatever. And uh, so I think just being able to, to be there and listen. And then, again, kind of the, the last thing I would say about it is to really listen, to ask questions. Don't, don't start spouting out scripture. 
Uh, don't start telling them, oh my gosh, you know, there's a hotter place in hell for people that do this sort of thing. I mean, I've had people say that to people and uh, you know, that, that's not true. Number one. And number two, that's not really going to accomplish anything. The fact that they're talking to you, they already know where you stand. And so your reiteration of all the scriptural mandates about, you know, you shouldn't be gay. Uh, they probably are very familiar with those, maybe more so than you. And so my thing would be, help them understand that you want to understand where they are. Why, why do they feel this way? When did they start feeling this way? Uh, how did they know this to be true? Uh, have they explored any help in this arena? Um, what do they know about scripture related to this and how have they reconciled, uh, you know, their relationship with God and this issue, those kinds of things so that they're able to, to really share with you kind of where they are and what's going on in their heart. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks who come and say, you know, man, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and this isn't getting any better. So, you know, you, I, I don't know if God just didn't make me this way simply because I feel it and I've asked for it to go away and it isn't going away. And I often counter that with, well, I think everyone prays for their sin to go away and their temptation towards sin to go away. But I don't know of very many people who sin and the temptation towards sin disappears. You know, we all this issue. Very true. I'm kind, you know, so very, very true. Very. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, uh, the kind of guidelines and riverbanks. Um, cause I think it really helps us, um, as, as we walk through this and I don't, um, in my experience and my thought was be, is this is not going di- to dramatically disappear, but I think no. the more prepared we can be, um, the more we can respond in a, in a Christ-like, Christ-like manner. One of the things that you kind of hit on it, um, a little bit and, um, in a positive way, sometimes in the church and I'll, I'll not say the church, I'll say Aaron, Aaron, sometimes Aaron Sandemeyer looks for simple responses to complex situations. And so to me, this, um, topic, um, um, uh, sexuality is a complex subject, but sometimes I look for simple answers and, and honestly, those simple answers don't even begin to understand the complexity of what somebody's going through and the challenges. Um, what are some of the reasons you think that we try to look for simple solutions to complex problems? And am I right? Is this not a complex um, situation? Maybe it, it's not, and I'm just making it a complex one. But does that make yeah. sense? I think sometimes for me as a Christian, so I, I won't put the church, yeah, yeah. I won't any church, I'll own it as me. Aaron Sandemeyer is a Christian. Sometimes I look for simple answers to complex problems and challenges. And is this one, is sexuality a complex situation? And I think it, I, I think it is both complex and simple, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think it's complex in the fact that every human being experiences it slightly different. Okay. And I think the way in which we formulate our sexual identity is certainly complex for each of us. And our stories are unique. Okay. Uh, at the same time, they are unique in the way the particular um, variables take place within our lives. There is an incredible commonality, at least I have found in the individuals that we've dealt with over the last 30 years or so. Um, I, I see an incredible commonality in those individuals who end up having some distortion of their sexual reality. Hmm. You know, so, so those who struggle and have sexual brokenness in their lives, there, there are very common things that seem to surround those situations. Okay. And so when I look at that, I'm like, okay, well, the, the simple solution is the reality that we are created with intentionality and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so to reject any aspect of that fearfully and wonderfully made reality 
then comp, you know, uh, complicates our life and right. makes our life obviously much more complex. Hmm. That's so, good. yeah. And, and the other thing too, I think is that in the church, uh, particularly, I don't think we've done a very good job at all about teaching about biblical sexuality as a whole. Um, you know, there may be a sermon or two that somebody preaches against homosexuality or promiscuity or something like that. But, but when we look at what is biblical sexuality and how are we communicating that to our children, particularly, uh, we just don't see much of that at all. And to me, you know, when you get a passage like Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema, you know, where the Lord is one Lord and teach your children when you rise up and when you lie down and all that stuff. I'm thinking, well, I think sex would go in that category as well. For sure. Because it is absolutely a real thing for every human being. Yeah. And so being able to communicate from a very early age the proper names of, of our, our body parts, the way in which God has designed this uniquely as men and as women, as male and as female, uh, those are all things that I think ought to be just a natural part of conversation with kids. And then as they grow and mature, obviously, it becomes more complex, but they also feel very comfortable sharing those sexual things with mom and dad. And, and they to you as the source to define their worldview rather than looking at the world who's going to define their view. And so I, I just think we just have not done a good job at communicating to kids. That's good. You know, we've spent this summer, um, my daughter and my son are both have their driving, uh, they're trying to get their license. So they've been going through the permit. So it's like 50 hours of, of driving behind the wheel, the test, all that kind of thing. And I think it's really made me reflect on, you know, it might be a bad analogy, but I just, the intentionality that we have done so that my daughter can drive so that mm. she can take the responsibility yeah. to drive was 50 hours in the car, testing, studying, explaining all these type things. But then it's this as I was prepping for this uh, conversation today, thinking of when it comes to sexuality, um, obviously there's great consequences to that uh, also, and it could be very healthy. It could be, but if I had taken the same intentionality to discuss with my children about sexuality that I have taken to do this driver's license with, you know, I definitely have not talked about it for 50 hours and we yeah. definitely not taken <laughs> tests about it. And it's, you, know, right. you might consider right. it a bad analogy, but I've been really challenged by that in my spirit. Um, the, the intentionality I've done this with, have I also, are there other areas of life that I've been intentional um, to walk with them? And so thanks for the encouraging word. And um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at today on that one. I wanted to ask you uh, another question about gender confusion um, and how it's impacting um, maybe, I don't want to say one generation, but it seems to be, uh, in my perception, I'm 44, it was not a common discussion it, when I was younger. Um, and it, honestly, it's only come on my radar personally in probably in the last five to 10 years, um, even if that. But it seems to be more common. And so what is gender confusion um, in your experience? And um, yeah, how and yeah. is it impacting one generation more than the other? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely impacting the, the Z generation and some of the X generation, but the Z generation especially. And, and it's kind of fascinating. It really is something even academically that probably uh, from the best I can tell, scholars are saying that is, has only been a discussion for about 40 or so years um, it was never something that was separated from sex. Sex and gender actually went together. Uh, but in recent times, they have decided to separate that out. And again, it started academically first. Uh, talking about gender identity is someone's personal and intimate sense of their own gender. So it's kind of what they sense they are. 
Um, but then there's gender expression, which is how they actually reflect for gender identity that they, they believe they are. Now that can be different than their sex. And so sex is a biological reality. You're male, you're female, you're XY, you're XX. But then my gender identity can be, I, I am sexually a male, but I'm identifying my gender as a female or non-binary person or whatever. And so I think one of the biggest crazies to me that's happened is that we have in fact separated sex from gender. And I don't think that's God's intention. I don't see that in scripture. I see him saying we created male and female men and women, which would be sex and gender. And he identifies those together. I think the, that growing up is difficult enough uh, when you know that you're a male and a man uh, the idea that, okay, you may be a male, but you may not be a man. You may be a female that happens to be in a male's body or those kinds of things makes growing up incredibly tumultuous. And, and I just think it, it puts on children an undue stressor that really isn't necessary because we need to be able to embrace the reality of how God has created us. You know, the, this idea that I want to be gender fluid or that I want to be a transgendered person and, and be something I've not been created to be. Uh, to me, you're setting up people for failure because you actually, despite what the culture says, you actually can never become what you're not created to. Be. You know, I can't become a woman no matter how much I would take hormones or do surgery and look like a woman. Even uh, I still would not be a woman. And so it to me is much easier to help a child embrace the beauty of being male or being female, whatever it was that God created them to be, and to be the best of that they can be, than it would be to try to get them to be something they were never created to be. And so, you know, from a biblical understanding of who we are, like both sex and gender, and, and we see a lot of that confusion happening right now. I mean, I did a talk at a Christian college probably five years ago, and, uh, in a chapel service. And I had the professor of psychology who just raked me over the coals afterwards because I dared to say that gender and sex should go together. And I'm like, well, I'm just saying what I believe the scripture says. You know, I said, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, you know, therapist. I'm just a minister. And when I read the Bible, it seems to be quite simple that God created them male and female men and women, you know? And so I guess the next question that leads into that is uh, a parent, um, how can a parent or colleagues, you know, a lot of times on, on the this podcast, mainly for missionaries um, and global workers, our families become, we call each other auntie and uncles. You're not necessarily biologically, but you feel right. that affinity because they become your family on the field. Sure. Um, what what um, wisdom, um, advice, counsel would you give for parents and then maybe for aunties and uncles, um, whether that's biological or not biological, when they... Right. Um, when they're helping to care for and love someone that's, that's struggling with the challenge of gender identity? Yeah. I think the biggest thing, uh, like I said, first off, don't panic. Yeah. You know, this is something that a lot of young people are dealing with. A lot of people are dealing with um, it. It stems from all kinds of things in people's lives that often we don't know about. And so, uh, you know, isn't as it, with everything I've read over the years, we still haven't found a genetic marker or a reality that causes this definitively. There may be some things that influence a propensity toward it, but, but there is no definitive marker that says this means you're going to be gay and have to be gay. That, that just isn't the way it works. Um, so I think, you know, not panicking. I think 
when someone, again, confesses this to you, thank them, let them know that you love them. If it's your child, or like you said, if you're that quote, aunt or uncle, right. uh, then just make sure you let them know that you love them, that you care about them, that, that God didn't make a mistake in them and that uh, he put them in your life uh, because he knew that you were able to walk with them and be present with them and love them. Hmm. And, and I think sometimes dads especially have a difficult time with that because, you know, if you've got maybe a really rough and tumble kind of rough dad who has this very sensitive young son who comes and says, dad, you know, I think I'm gay or I think I want to be a girl or something like that. The dad may freak out and think how, you know, what am I supposed to do with it? But I tell dads all the time, God gave you that son intentionally. This, this wasn't an accident, That's you good. know? And so the biggest mission field may not be in the place where you're working. Yeah. It may be in your living room, yeah. sitting on your couch. And how do you figure out how to speak his language? Yeah. How do you, how do you understand how to communicate with him or her in, in a way that, that captures their heart, you know? And so to begin to sort of like take a step back and look, okay, what am I doing to be intimately connected to this boy or girl? How am I expressing my love for them? Uh, how am I uh, letting them know that they're heard and they're seen uh, where they are and how they are? I've had a lot of young people say to me, you know, I live with my dad for 22 years and he never saw me, hmm. you know? And, and so I think we need to see, you know, I, I ask parents, you know, tell me what your kid's favorite song is or favorite group is, or tell me what their favorite color is, or, you know, tell me what they want to do when they don't want to do work. You know, like what are they doing <laughs> pastime and, and you know for fun and that you know what's their favorite you know ice cream flavor those kind of things. Well, you know every parent ought to be an expert in their kid, yeah. and you ought to be able to answer all those questions. And if you don't, then that means that there's a disconnect somewhere to where you don't know these things, which are intimate details about their life. And yeah. if you're not that connected, then that can create difficulties for them. So we need to make sure that we're we're invested heavily. And taking time, you know, I tell parents all the time, I was like, you're going to have a maybe 17, 18, 20 years. That's it. And, and only about half of that is, is sort of rational communicating, you know, because uh, the rest of it is just kind of caregiving and, and instruction. So, so I said, you really don't have them for very long. You've got to invest heavily in them during that period of time. So, you know, thank them for sharing it. Ask them, you know, how did they feel this way? When did this feeling started to happen? How do they know this is what they believe? Uh, you know, who told them that? Where, where did that come from? Truth are they basing that on? Uh, those kinds of things. And, and I think that starts a really good conversation. And again, not to get the answer so that you can correct them, but to get the answer so you can hear where it is that they're getting this information. And then at a later time, begin to explore, okay, well, here's some other information and here's some other facts that I've been thinking about. What do you think about this? Let's talk about this together. And, uh, and let them know that you're committed to them for this journey. You know, the fact that they're telling you means they want you to know. And it, it, it also, I believe, is an invitation, whether intended or unintended, to say, okay, things aren't right. And I haven't made all these decisions yet, but here's where I'm, I'm heading. Help me not to head that way, <laughs> you know, but I don't know what to do because I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And, and it's really hard to combat people's feelings because the reality is you feel what you feel. And so, you know, we can't say to them, oh, I don't really think you're feeling this. I've had a lot of parents that have done that. Oh, well, you know, if it's a boy, well, I think if you just had sex with a girl, you'd feel differently. You know, or a girl, if you just had sex with a man, you'd feel different. I was like, that's the worst thing in the world to tell because they definitely aren't interested in that at that point in time. 
And so, no, that is not going. I mean, I've even had dads who wanted to hire a prostitute for his daughter, for his son, so he could experience, you know, intercourse and thought that that would somehow solve the problem. I'm like, no, it would probably make it a thousand times worse because it would be traumatic for this child. So I think we just need to listen. We need to love. We need to care. We need to we need to be the Jesus that we say we are to people and, and let them know that that, you know, God loves us right where we are as we are. But he also commands of us that there is a better way. And so how do we present that in a better way to say God has a better plan and he didn't make a mistake with you, you know, and then love him through that. That's good. One last question. Um, Before we jumped on uh, and hit the recording, we had talked a little bit about some of the stuff in the media. And um, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, you're you're ministering and serving people in this area that's not necessarily popular. And at times, I would imagine you come under attack um, from popular culture. And um, how how have you learned to respond in a Christ-like way um, when you're coming under attack? And um, and do you get weary at times when it seems to be continual? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I've always felt uh, that the Lord gave me a word a long time ago that that when the moments come that you will be persecuted and those persecutions will come promise to us in Scripture, unfortunately, but they're promised. They didn't love him. They're not going to love you. Uh, I've, I've always felt the Lord say to me, you know, don't try to defend yourself. Um, allow me to defend you. Allow, allow your work and the investment that you make in people. Uh, and the truth that you proclaim stand for itself. You don't have to defend the scripture, the scripture to itself. And all the attacks that have happened to it over literally thousands of years, and we take the Old Testament, New Testament, we got 4,000 years of history, uh, it's still here, and it's still transforming lives and changing people's lives. So what I have chosen to do is rather than respond tit for tat over every little thing that people accuse us of or say about us, uh, I've chosen to just simply try to explain who we are what we do, how we do it, and that we are absolutely sold out to the reality that Jesus came into the world to transform and to save sinners. And so the very essence of my faith in Christ mandates a transformation take place. And Christ is about change. It is about dying to ourselves. It's about um, surrendering ourselves to his lordship and to his leadership And in the process of that, finding and discovering through the death of all of our own selfish ambition, the beauty of resurrection that happens when we become like he is. And so that's what we do. You know, if if people want to know how we do what we do, I always tell them, you know, go to our website. We've got hundreds of hours of podcasts and teachings and all these different things. And you can hear the stuff we do. It's not cryptic. It's not weird. It's stuff that that you probably should be hearing in church if you're not hearing in church, but it's, it, it is geared specifically for my audience, which obviously are people who are struggling with their sexual identity. So it tends to be a little more geared towards sexual things, but it actually isn't uh, teachings about sex per se. It, uh, what I typically do and have done for all these years is I go through verse by verse books of the Bible and apply them to life. Uh, my audience is those who are interested in sexual stuff. So obviously we use a lot of illustrations from that venue. Reality is I'm just talking about what God says and how every page of the scripture speaks into how we're to live and how we're to love. And so that's what we do. Well, we'll definitely put the links um, to the website and um, to, to those in the, in the show show notes from the, for this podcast. Oh, great. And, um, 
anything else, any way else that people could could get more information or follow anything you would Absolutely. Like to share? Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that's great for missionaries and missionary kids and that kind of stuff that might be struggling with this is that we have uh, two things that, that are offered for them. One is we have an online forum 24-7 that are just all text-driven, no, no personal information. It's confidential, private, moderated. It's free. And so if someone is struggling with that, we have groups for men, women, young adults, um, uh, parents, and friends of those who have folks that are struggling and wives of men who struggle. So any of those groups, we have groups that are that are for that and they can communicate back and forth online. Then we also have uh, every other week, second and fourth weeks, we do an online Zoom group for friends and family, as well as we have a group for men, for women, uh, for young adults, married, single, that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, if someone's interested in that and participate in that one, you have to actually go through a Zoom intake that we do. you. So we would have to, you know, set up a time to do that and, and take you through an intake. But everybody's kind of vetted. Uh, everyone is only known by their first names. We don't allow them to share last names or any kind of personal contact information for obvious reasons. And so many of the people who, who come to us have not been open and out with other people in their communities. And so- okay. Uh, we realize that and, and we try to keep that, you know, very, very confidential. So we're very careful about that. But all of those things are offered for free. And so if someone is struggling, wants to talk to other parents that have a kid or if it's a, you know, a person who's struggling and dealing with this. And we have had lots and lots of ministers and missionaries and things like that. We often find people um, who really love Jesus that struggle with this and are incredibly gifted and talented. Uh, they often go to mission fields thinking that wow, if I just serve the Lord more, this will go away. Yeah. Only to discover that in their isolation, the struggle actually gets worse. And if they're not very careful, uh, they can sometimes prey on those that they're trying to minister to. And we've seen that happen to where folks have been called off the mission field and we had to deal with it. So my, my admonition is always, if you're dealing with this issue, please talk to someone, let them know, get the help that you need to get so that you don't fall victim to you know, seducing someone or getting too inappropriate to someone and hurting the gospel as well as your own witness and ministry. Uh, because I know that's not their heart, but, but that can be how the devil serves it up to them. So. True. That's true. Ricky, would you pray for us? Uh, we normally end the podcast Absolutely. in prayer. Um, with 150 some episodes, we always end in prayer and we just pray for us, whatever, whatever direction you'd like to. Yeah. True. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you that it is the power of Christ to salvation, that it transforms lives and hearts and families and individuals. And, and father, we're just so privileged that you would love us enough to enter into our space to enter our world that you created and to show us how to live, how to love, um, how, to, how to share your news and your good news with others. And Father, there's so many in our world today that are struggling with these issues of gender and sexuality, uh, be it heterosexual uh, desires that are um, maybe out of control, uh, luck maybe is, is just burning in our hearts, or some kind of gender identity issue or sexual brokenness or uh, sexual confusion that's in our life. And, and Father, it seems that in the world that we live in, there's so many outlets for sexual expression and so many temptations that are coming at us nonstop that it's hard to keep our minds fixed on you. So I just pray for those who are listening today that, that they would be able to see that in the midst of all of the confusion, you give a clear direction of how we're created as men and women and how you have designed us to operate within that creation, to be 
uh, either committed to you and celibate and, and um, staying away from any kind of engagement in sexuality, or you have called us into a marriage whereby we are committed to a person of the opposite sex for life. And so I pray for as all of us navigate at some point, both of those realities, maybe uh, for those who are married, for sure, both of those, but for those who are single, maybe just the, the celibate Christian, but um, you know, help us father, as we navigate those realities to be able to be faithful to you, to be able to run to you, to know that you do not bring condemnation and shame upon us, but in fact, want to bring freedom and truth and light. And so I thank you for the opportunity to share today. Pray your blessings upon everyone who hears this and pray that your spirit will bring conviction and 